Well, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're uh, listening to or today watching from, because we're actually streaming this live on YouTube. This is Crucial Conversations. I'm Peter. And I'm Kevin. And Kevin, we've got guests again. We've got people with us. We're not alone. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> well, once again, if they're watching us on YouTube as we're live streaming this, oh, they can see right. that. So we're we have live. Past yeah, Pastor Peter Ill is joining us. Peter the Third, Peter Three. Say hi. Hi. How are <laughs> how is everybody? <laughs> we're doing great. So this is part two of an episode um, on pastors. We had episode number 60 way back before COVID began, uh, like the day before, kind of seems like we had this podcast on why pastors, why do we have pastors? What's, what's the point of all that? We had great discussion. And we thought for part two, well, we wanted to bring in another pastor to add to the conversation. So we have joining us today, Pastor America, <laughs> also known as Pastor Dembski. But feel free to describe the Pastor America thing. Like, why is that a thing? Even though you're so not wearing my name your is Merit. My name is Merit Dembski. And so some people say Pastor Merit, and some people say Pastor Dembski. But there was one kid that if you saw me in my clerical at church, I was Jesus. But if he saw me like at Walmart in just casual clothes, he'd say, look, it's Pastor America. Because instead of saying Pastor Merit, he'd say Pastor America. So his family got me a Captain America shield shirt that says Pastor America. So, Which is completely awesome. I love that shirt. <laughs> it is my favorite. It's starting to get the cracks in it from getting washed too much, you know? Oh, so, no. Now I got to find out how you, how you make another one from when that one dies. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. All right. So our, our topic today, we're actually picking up from episode 60. We're just going to continue that discussion. We had some questions that remained unanswered. Uh, so Pastor Ill, at the end of that episode, you kind of summarize it really well, what we're going to talk about today. And you said, where do pastors come from and how do I get one? So that's how we're going to start. We're going to begin our discussion there today. But we're also going to talk about um, how do I find a church? Because I think part of this discussion, when it when the question came in, because we're actually answering a question from John, uh, sent in a question uh, through our Ask a Question page on our website, which, by the way, anybody can send us questions. Go to crucialproductions.org. Click the button at the top that says ask a question, fill out the form, send it to us, or send an email to questions at crucialproductions.org. I check that email regularly, so those are the two easiest ways. Or find us on Instagram, Facebook, send us messages to our Crucial Productions accounts there. And Pastor Ill is actually a board member, so you can like ask him questions about the board and the how we run the organization and all that kind, kind of fun stuff and, and whatnot. And, and Merit all those questions favorites. <laughs> um, so send, send us questions that's actually how that's that's why we're doing this particular topic because we got questions about it so we love actually answering your questions um, clarifying what it is that we we are talking about especially if there's confusion so all that is a long way to say we've already lost Kevin he's fallen asleep and has has left the building. <laughs> Because that's usually what happens when I talk for a long time. Um, anyways. It's not just Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as you guys can tell, we're all good friends here. And we just enjoy ribbing each other and, and having so fun. So, Peter, what's a, uh, where do pastors come from and how do I get one? <laughs> well, they don't just spring up out of the ground like dwarves. So yeah, yeah. there's, there's got to be a... Amazon Prime, preferably. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, they take too long to get to you if you don't have the prime shipping. Is that how that works? <laughs> okay, really, really quick though. So where do pastors come from? How do we get one? How do we pick a church? That was part of the question. And then the final thing that we'll talk about is what happens when my pastor or the pa as I'm trying to pick a church, I discover the pastor is teaching things that we as Lutherans don't actually believe. So what, what do I do with that? How do I handle that? How does... Uh, how does that get handled? That sort of thing. So, all right. We have two pastors. Where did you guys come from? Northern Illinois. Okay. So go to Northern <laughs> Illinois to get a pastor. We'll start there. Um, so I, maybe at this point, a, a disclaimer is a little bit helpful of saying yeah. that uh, both Pastor Dembski and I are pastors in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And so that's a church body. Uh, church bodies are helpful in the training and formation of pastors. Um, biblically speaking, you don't have to belong to a church body. 
and you don't have to get your pastor through one, but it sure is helpful. Uh, church bodies are a wonderful way for the whole church to be gathered together to say, oh, we have a group of pastors that all believe, teach, and confess the same things, just like we have a group of congregations that believe, teach, and confess the same things. Since that's the case, then we have a system of, of training pastors. And so where pastors come from ordinarily is when pastors are gathered together and someone is presented to become a pastor and by prayer and the laying on of hands, that person is set aside for that ministry that we talked about in our, uh, in our previous episode, number 60, uh, to be the, the absolution man. But he's done, he has made a pastor, we use the word ordained, uh, not just for the local congregation he's serving, but in the whole church. So Pastor Dembski and I can come on podcasts and talk about Jesus. We can go to events and other places where the church has the authority to speak, and we can speak as pastors for all of Christ's church. And we're, we're set aside to serve an individual congregation. I get to serve this wonderful congregation in the little town of Millstadt, Illinois, uh, pretty close to St. Louis. And it's wonderful getting to be with them and to be their pastor. But being pastor isn't just for them. I do other stuff too for anybody who needs to hear the truth of God's word. So, Pastor Dembski, I want to talk a little bit about the process you actually went through in terms of pastoral formation. But before we do that, I also want to make it clear that in this episode, um, we are, we are going to talk about how we in the LCMS form pastors. And I think Pastor Pastor Ill, you kind of started off start us off really well with some of the disclaimers that how we do it doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. Uh, what 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 we do, we found is a bit to be a very good way to do it, an excellent way to do it. And we here on this podcast definitely promote the way we currently form our pastors and and train them. Um, but I want to make clear that we're not saying that if you don't train your pastors the way we do, you don't have pastors. Um, we, we, I want to make very clear that we're not saying that. That would not be accurate at all. Because just as when we talked about what is the church and how do we have a church, I have this mental exercise that I like to run through. Like if you can't do church outside under a tree in Africa, if you need something else in order for it to be church, if you can't actually conduct your service in that way where you require a building or you require um, different things, well, then what you're doing might be something other than than church. Um, I think I phrased that poorly. I, I, I think I said it better when we actually did the episode. But the point being, if you don't do pastoral formation exactly the way we do, we're not saying you don't have pastors. Um, so with all of that disclaimer <laughs> in front of us, Pastor Merritt, Pastor America, Pastor Dembski, what was the process you went through in becoming a pastor or be, training to become a pastor? It might be a better way to say it. Yeah, so uh, I, I personally had considered ministry for a long time. I didn't grow up Lutheran. I actually grew up Assemblies of God and uh, had considered at times, even looked at like going to a Bible college and then never did. Uh, went to college, uh, graduated. Everyone thought I was pre-SEM and was confused that I was graduating with an English degree. And then uh, three years later, decided uh, to go to uh, the seminary. And so for me, it was, you had to do a couple of tests, like preliminary stuff of New Testament, Old Testament, see if you actually know Jesus stuff and know scripture stuff, you know, or if it's like, I have no idea anything about this. I just like to kind of be a pastor. Um, and for my situation in particular, it was kind of funny because I went to Concordia University in Chicago. And I say this humorously, accidentally, like I had no idea <laughs> Lutheran. I had no idea what it was. I seriously went to a band clinic thing and the director of bands at Concordia Chicago said, I like your sound. Come here. And I said, okay. So I did like, I got there and my first experience was seeing people chanting and wearing robes in a big room. And I thought, where's the goat sacrifice? Cause I've seen this movie and oh, there's no. something going to happen. Cause there's robes and there's chanting and I have no idea what's happening. 
right? <laughs> and so um, after four years of conversations with professors and, and um, go, goat sacrifices. Meet- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Turns out it was just chickens. Right. It, was, it was easier, less messy. But uh, uh, my wife uh, grew up Lutheran and wanted to be a Lutheran school teacher and we had been dating we had been going to Lutheran church and all that stuff and after getting married we were regularly going to a Lutheran congregation and uh, the congregation I grew up at and um, so for about seven years I was going to Lutheran churches and getting familiar with it but had officially on paper been a member for like six months when I said I want to be a pastor so for, for the seminary, you had to be an on-paper official Lutheran for two years. So I, the, my pastor had to go through a whole bunch of stuff and say, he's been going, he's been a big helper at our congregation. So um, Wait a minute, you, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You are admitting on air that you backdated your application? No, no, no. I, they had to. <laughs> By the time I went to the seminary, I had would have been an on-paper Lutheran for a year and a half, but I had been going to Lutheran congregations, but had not been an official member on paper, even though I had been attending and had been going to Bible studies so and all the, that kind of So the paper he's talking about is not exactly the same as the Lamb's Book of Life, but it's close. <laughs> That's far away. It's really close. Yeah. Okay, really, really quick. I, I do want to pause right here as in, in the middle of your story, only because we've, we've had a question come in that pertains to this particular moment in your formation. Uh, and Pastor Earl, I, w- I want you to chime in here real quick. I don't want to take us too far on a tangent, but we've had a question come in about the, the internal call to be a pastor. So you're kind of at the point in your life where something happened that made you think, I want to be a pastor. And I know in a lot of traditions, the one that I grew up in, uh, and I know Pastor Merritt, you as well. You didn't grow up Lutheran. Uh, um, I didn't grow up Lutheran. In our background, it's enough that I feel God wants me to be a pastor, and boom, that's that's all I need in order to move forward and and do that and eventually become a pastor. But it's that internal call that is the primary, most important thing, and that's really what guides me in that process. Well, Lutherans don't look at the internal call in that way. And I don't even know if we prefer to use the term internal call just because of the mess that I just described. Um, so really quick, how, how do we look at that? Because that is a step in, in the formation that people have to deal with that our pastors, before they become pastors, they're, they're going to go through this in some way. I'm really glad that my call isn't just internal. <clears throat> Um, I might get myself into a touch of trouble when I say this, but there are minutes and hours and sometimes even days when I don't want to be a pastor. Um, there's, there's the joke about, uh, you know, a mom comes to the door and knocks on a Sunday morning and says, it's time, to, it's time to get up. It's time for church. And the person says, they don't like me there. They don't want me there. It's not worth it. I'm not going today. But mom knocks again but you're the pastor. They will notice if you don't go. <laughs> um, and my, my own self has had some of those moments of, I don't feel like being a pastor today. At which point, I remember I have been given a call by the Church of God, uh, namely Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois, to show up and to be their pastor if I want to or not. Uh, certainly saying, I have the skills and the aptitudes and the desire to be a pastor is an important part in pastoral formation and in becoming a pastor, but it's not all that's necessary. Is there an internal call? Yes. Uh, That call does come from the Holy Spirit. It comes also with uh, Christian consecrated common sense of, of knowing who you are and who God has created you to be, but it also comes with the authority of the whole church. I could say, I want to go be a pastor. That doesn't mean that the church does or should receive me as her pastor. There, um, there are lots of folks that I know who have said at various times, I'd like to be a pastor. And for various reasons, they're not pastors. That's grievous, but it does take the authority of the church to recognize someone as a pastor. And we say, 
if you come into a church as a pastor, then you serve as pastor. Um, but we don't just hang a shingle and decide I'm going to be a pastor because I feel like it today. Yeah. yeah and, and that's, uh, I, I've heard many people use these examples of there were times where I felt a pull to become a pastor, but praise be to God, like, uh, um, the pastor was saying that we, we don't hang everything on that, that desire, but praise be to God that we have that pull and desire to be pastors and that we then go through that formation. And so I, throughout my life, I had people say from time to time, you should be a pastor or those kind of things. And there are, there are students today that I'll see and say, Hey, you are, you, you have a love for Jesus. You want to tell people about Jesus. You should go to seminary. Ah, I don't know. It's like, yeah, maybe in 10 years, you'll say, you know what? I should have done that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But not for, for going to, did that answer the question as a whole? Yeah. I I think, I think my concern, um, especially from, from the background that I'm coming from um, and Kevin, I'm going to toss this one to you here is that what, if the internal call is really, a primary driving force or the driving force or even an, a, a really important one. My concern is that the whole thing about being a pastor actually ends up being about me. And we spent a lot of time in our last episode really trying to reorient about how the pastoral office is actually about Jesus, not the man in the office. So not saying that you guys have, have done that, but I'm just saying this this is often the tension that I see in, in this conversation about the internal call. If we're going to say, let's use that language, it's important, we need to hold on to it. Um, Kevin, redirect me if necessary. So, so historically, we have spoken about this using a slightly different vocabulary. And historically, we've talked about immediate calls and mediate calls. And an immediate call is a call directly from the Holy Spirit to an individual. So that's kind of what we're talking about. An internal call in this conversation is that you, you kind of, you kind of think, huh, maybe I want to be a pastor, right? Or, hmm, maybe I want to do this, or maybe I should try this, or maybe I should think about this. And that's kind of the immediate call. And what we usually say is that's fine. And some people have that. Some people actually never do. Some people are simply told by other people, Hey, you ought to think about this, right? <laughs> and and that's fine. And it's and, and as other things in our lives, sometimes we we think certain thoughts or we feel certain things. Like maybe maybe that's the Holy Spirit kind of teaching us something through having heard His Word and and that kind of thing. But we don't put a lot of stock in that. We don't say that's what counts. That might move us to try something or to move toward asking a question of somebody or something. But what we say is the mediate call, the mediated call, the call through the church is where we base the reality of a pastor's call on. And so what happens is, whether it's the immediate call through somebody else or an immediate call by the Holy Spirit on somebody or to somebody, that might get them to seminary or get them to apply to seminary, get them to you know maybe go check it out or something, take, take Greek you know, that's usually what happens is the immediate, the immediate call or me or some kind of mediated call, um, results in someone taking Greek one. And then pretty soon they realize that was not the Holy spirit speaking because <laughs> <laughs> this is too hard. Right. And, and whatever. And, and then we say, okay, that's fine. That's, that's part of the weeding out process. That's, that's part of how this all works. And what happens is as a person listens to people in their lives, encouraging them, listens to all the things what happens is the church continues to say yes you should continue to to pursue this formation yes you you should continue to learn toward this and then what happens is hopefully when you're done and ready to graduate with your academic degree of a master of divinity the church issues a mediated call the holy spirit calls you through the medium of the church and says yes peter ill you are called by God to serve his church as pastor. Yes, Merritt Dembski, you are called by the Holy Spirit through his church to serve as pastor. Then you say, great, where? Right? <laughs> and they say, here. And, and you say, okay, God is calling me through the church to serve his church at this location, at this time, in this ministry. 
Okay, so the immediate call is 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 kind of what sometimes they say, and, and you guys are talking about like the internal call. Kind of that's what gets you to think about it, or it gets you to maybe make some changes or something, right? But but that's not the call that we rely upon. We actually say. I, as a called or ordained servant, right? That's what your pastor says at the absolution. Well, that mm-hmm. called and ordained, he's not talking about inside of himself. He's talking about the church of God, the body of Christ. Yeah. Pastor Ill, when you a have pastor a comment? Give, Go ahead. I do. When a pastor gives the absolution or a pastoral blessing, he's not saying, gee, I I, I want you to, to feel good about yourself or I want you to, to think warm, fuzzy thoughts or hey, I like you guys. Instead, he's saying, hey, listen up. This is the word of God for you. When he stands there at the end of the service and says, the Lord bless you and keep you, that's because God said so about you. Your pastor is declaring God's word for you. When your pastor holds up the body and blood of Christ under bread and wine and gives that to you, it is Jesus' body and blood because Jesus said so. It's not just your pastor's uh, warm thoughts and feelings. This is Jesus' word for you, declared by your pastor, and it's as true before God in heaven as it is before you in the there and then. All right, Pastor Mara, let's go back to your formation process. Thank you for that aside. That was great, guys. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So after after I took a couple of tests for... Uh, proficiency in New Testament, Old Testament, and Christian doctrine as a whole. Um, then I went to the seminary and for uh, things switched up a little bit, so I don't exactly know uh, how much of this has changed in the last two years. But um, when I went, I, I did a 10-week course in Greek and then a 10-week course in Hebrew. Some people would have already been taking Greek and taking Hebrew in preparation for seminary if they knew they were on that track. And so um, uh, either way, languages are important, the languages that Scripture is written in, so you can be studying not just what the King James or the ESV or the NIV or the NASV or etc. <laughs> like insert 50,000 different translations, um, but you're actually looking at the original languages of Scripture to teach people. And then throughout the, the time there, there were courses in systematics, so how we think through Christian doctrine, how we articulate what we believe as Christians, uh, historical stuff, so uh, talking about the history of the church and the, the history of how we got to where we are today as Christians. Um, there's a practical side, so uh, caring for people, which I actually like how one professor said it, to study systematics is to study practical, because if you know what you teach and believe, then you can you know, learn how to apply it to people. So the, um, but that would be more the, the pastoral care side of things would be the, the, the idea for the practical side. Um, and preaching, uh, of course, is uh, you take classes on how to preach and, um, and the different circumstances under which you preach and how to study scripture to prepare to preach, all those kind of things. So after two years of those kinds of classes, you go on what is called vicarage, which is you are placed in a congregation somewhere in the country and you are you know, an intern, a vicar in this congregation for a year. And then you return to the seminary and um, you return to the seminary. Oh, sorry. We're commenting on Zoom at the same time, and Merritt's losing his train of thought. Sorry. I'm one of those people that could never keep a straight face. I always got like in trouble for not keeping a straight face in class. Um, but no, we're you, not off the rails. Continue, please. Yeah. You, you get back, and you've got the fourth year of um, continued training and, and picking up whatever you learned from that vicarage experience. And I, I failed to say that uh, first and second year and fourth year, you are doing field work. So you are placed at a congregation in the Illinois or St. Louis area in order to, <coughs> in order to uh, have life experience with the congregation itself. So um, for me, I had kind of a unique experience that I was placed at one congregation for my first two years of field experience. And then I was placed as a, uh, a vicar at this congregation where I serve. My fourth year of field work was at this congregation where I serve. 
And then I was called as the associate pastor at this congregation. And now I'm the lead pastor in this congregation. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's so, different. That's not normal. Yeah. Yeah. So most people, they have two years, they go somewhere, they come back and they have their fourth year at that place that they were at for the first two years. And then they go somewhere totally different for their um, for their call where they're placed. And I know that there's a picture that often has inspired me, like at least on the emotional side, that on that day of call day where you are where you hear where you have been called and where you are going to be a pastor. And there's a picture of me and one of my friends uh, and we're standing there and you can't necessarily tell, we both know, but there we, it was a very emotional experience. Like you've been going through this for four years and now there's this congregation that has said, we want you to come to us and bring us Jesus. And it's a very humbling moment. And it is absolutely true. Um, well, maybe not for everyone, but for many people <laughs> that you go to the seminary and you think, let me out there. I want to get out there. I'm ready to go. And then you go through seminary and then call day and graduation and all that kind of stuff comes and you sit there going, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Don't send me out there. Like, I just realized how much I don't know and I don't <laughs> want to mess things up. <laughs> you know? So you, you are, um, you're, you're sent out to this congregation. Like I said, for me, it was kind of a, a different experience because I had two years somewhere and then was suddenly their pastor. And for some places that's weird, but for this congregation, they had never had a vicar. So I had two years of saying, I'm not your pastor yet. So don't think of me as your pastor. So it was an easy transition versus being, oh, you're just that student guy. Oh, now we have to think about you as a pastor. You know, so it was like two years of <laughs> holding off before being uh, one of the pastors here. Um, but so that was, that's the overview of what the process is. But like uh, Pastor Ill said, it can be different in many different places. I know that there is a pastor from another church around here um, who very literally was um, like a business major and said, I think I should be a pastor. And the congregation I was going to said, yeah, that's great. Go set up a church over there. And so we did like, I don't know if there was more theological training. I have no idea. I'm not aware. But you've got different processes and different uh, levels of, and even within the LCMS, I know historically Lutherans have had different litmus tests of what is officially now this guy is ready. You know, like it, yeah. it's interesting to look at different books of pastoral theology and pastoral formation and see what was expected of the guys going through the seminary to, in order to be prepared. And, and, th th yeah, yeah, this is this is why I had that disclaimer at the beginning, because that guy you described where he was a businessman, he, the church said, yeah, we want you to be a pastor, go over there. Okay, that in the LCMS, he wouldn't be a pastor. That's not how we do it. But it gets really messy because I don't know if we can legitimately say, I mean, maybe you guys can correct me, if we could legitimately say, no, he's not a pastor. Because a congregation did call him and send him. Um so we have to be very careful in these conversations, even as we're having them, that we're making sure we're keeping our, our categories straight. Because the training of a pastor that we put our men through um, as they're becoming pastors isn't necessarily what makes you a pastor, if, if, that, if I can say it in that way. Like I said, this gets messy. We have to be careful how we talk about it. So I can't go and say that my Baptist pastor friend isn't a pastor because he didn't go through the training our LCMS people go through. He, he didn't do that. Therefore, he's not a pastor. No, we, we can't say that. But at the same time, the training that we do have, um, I, I, I think, is something to, to be held up and, and to be lauded. And Kevin, you have a great story from when you were in your PhD classes, if you, if you wouldn't mind sharing that when you're getting your PhD and doing the advanced Greek stuff. It was actually, um, we were, I won't say anybody's names, but... Um, <laughs> I was getting my, when I was working my PhD at Concordia Seminary, we had a visiting professor who had taught at Yale and a couple other very notable institutions, including some overseas. And we were working through the minor prophets. He was writing a book on the minor prophets. And so we were just working through the minor prophets. And one day in class, he said, you know, I just thought of something. Let's read, let's read Micah. I think we should read Micah because I think this actually illustrates our point. And none of us had any idea. It was just off the cuff. 
So we all opened our Hebrew Old Testament and he's like, okay, who wants to read, you know, Micah, whatever. And so we just open our Hebrew and start reading. None of us had any prep time. It was just literally off the cuff. And he's reading and he looks up and he goes, wait, are you guys translating the Hebrew on the fly? And we're like, yeah, you told us to read Micah. So we're just, we're, we don't have English translations. We're just reading the Hebrew. He's actually reading the ESV with his Hebrew open next to it. And he looked up and he said, you guys know Hebrew that well? And we're like, yeah. And he said, you guys are nuts. <laughs> he said, I've been all around the world at seminaries all over the place. And nobody knows Hebrew like this. You guys are translating minor prophets on the fly. Just off the cuff. And we're like, Yeah. And, and we're all kind of going, and most of us were New Testament guys. We're like, yeah, we're not even Old Testament guys. We're New Testament guys. Hebrew is our second, our second biblical language. We are really Greek guys. And so the, the point of the story is that's when we talk about, you know, going to these classes and the academic rigor that we put guys through in the pastoral formation, the LCMS, it really is not because we want them to be academics, but it's because that's how important it is for us to be able to read the word of God and to actually be able to, to be the word of God guy for a congregation, right? I mean, I was yeah. doing it for academic pursuits and, you know, that's, that's different in some ways, but, but really pastors, they don't, they don't know Hebrew that well necessarily, but, but they do know, they do learn Greek and Hebrew enough that they can open their Bible as they prepare for their sermon on Sunday morning and translate the text, maybe using some software to help them along. That's fine. But, but they can actually tell you what does it say in the Greek and the Hebrew. And so they're not just relying on English translations. They're actually getting into the Greek and the Hebrew, which is not just, you know, this word actually means or something like that. No, it's, <laughs> it, it really helps you get into the world of the scriptures themselves so that the pastor can be the Jesus guy for his congregation so that we really can know what God reveals to us in his word. And see, the goal is never to be academic or to say, see how smart I am, have a master's degree in theology or something. It's, it's all to the goal of proclaiming Christ and him crucified. And, and we don't want to, we don't want to take that less seriously than we should, nor do we want to make it more academic than it should be. But we so wanna, that can, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that actually gets us to our to our next question as as we're moving through our, our different questions here in, in terms of picking a church, because um, we're not saying pick the church where the pastor has a Ph.D. in Hebrew, uh, although I happen to go to a church where my pastor has a Ph.D. in Hebrew. So I, I got that. I got that one right. Um, <laughs> hey, it, it's not that you had. Yeah. What pastor? Yeah, I want to I want to back up a step if you'll let me. Oh, fine. Um, because I said, where do pastors come from? And, and we got as far as this, this process, it sounds kind of complicated, but... Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about the call process. Now, That's the next thing. Um, now that we know where they come from, uh, we ask the question, how do I get one? So if you Thank go you, to a yes. church that doesn't have a pastor, how, how do you get one? Um, and, and this is where we would say, in our church body, we have a, a process and rules for this, but... Uh, the first and most fundamental question is, what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says that if somebody meets the qualifications of being a pastor, his congregation can set him aside to be the absolution man. Now, uh, say that, Peter, you went to a church where uh, you didn't have a pastor, and the other people at your church said, hey, you're the husband of one wife, um, you're temperate, you're not a drunkard, you're not a lover of money, this is good, we want you to be our pastor they could ordain you and make you their pastor. I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm saying they could. Um, yeah, if that's all it takes. Yeah. In, uh, in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, though, we say, hey, being able to read Greek and Hebrew, having uh, training in theology, in preaching, in pastoral care, these are all really good things. So while a church could call somebody from their midst to be their pastor, that's not usually what we do in the Missouri Synod. Uh, instead, a person goes through the seminary process. They are uh, the faculty actually get around and vote on them. They bring the names to the whole faculty and they say, "What do you guys think? Are, th are these guys ready to go? Anybody have reservations about?" And they 
it, it when I was in seminary, it was always uh, one of the the most poignant moments of the year. Right after chapel, the director of the certification program would get up and say, at our faculty meeting on Tuesday, so this many names were presented uh, to the faculty and we approved them and have deemed them as being certifiable for ministry uh, and receipt of their first calls. Um, kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, and they decide, that's when they decided for the for the first time, I was certifiable. Um, <laughs> I knew that joke was coming. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just—it sets itself it off. I mean, there you go. So, uh, and at that point, um, some congregations had gotten together. They didn't have pastors, and they said to their district president, "Hey, we want a pastor, and we know that we we got some new guys coming out of the seminary. Go go find us a good one." And so the district presidents got together with the list of seminary graduates and. Uh, prayerfully considered who would best serve in each different context. And each of those men who had been trained by the seminary were sent to serve their, uh, to serve their church uh, somewhere. I got to go to Southern Illinois. Uh, Pastor Dembski got to go to Waterloo, as he shared before. Other people Which went is all to Southern Illinois, not sorry, Iowa. Sorry. <laughs> Other people got to go to Alaska and California and New Jersey and Florida. And some people got calls as missionaries around the world. Uh, but they were called by the church um, into that role. But then after I had been serving in uh, at that congregation that I was assigned to and called to for my first oh, four and a half years of ministry or so, another congregation didn't have a pastor. And they said, hey, we want a pastor. And they called up their district president and they said, can you help us find a good one? And so he gave them a list of names. And uh, apparently my name was on the list. And they uh, gave me a, they met together and extended a call for me to serve uh, this congregation that I'm serving now in Trinity in Millstock. And so for several weeks, I prayed about that call. I came up, we visited, got to know a couple of folks. And then I had to make the really hard decision of, do I stay at the congregation that has called me that I'm serving? Or do I go to the congregation that has called me that wants me to serve them? And uh, at that time, I, I decided uh, after prayer and consideration that I would serve God here at Trinity and Millstock, um, I still miss the people that I was serving before, and I wish them all the very best. Uh, but at the same time, I'm called to be pastor somewhere else. It could be that tomorrow a congregation calls me to serve them someplace else. Uh, and if they do, they do, and I'll prayerfully consider it. Um, but it's not that I want to go anywhere. I'm a pastor for Christ's church, and if Christ's church in a different place calls me, all right. And if they don't, all right. Either way, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is Lord of the church and Lord of her pastors. And that is definitely something that I, I can take comfort in every day. Okay, so I got I'm gonna I'm gonna take our last couple questions and kind of put the put them into one, tying in with what you guys have been talking about here. Um, our, our last two questions that I want us to talk about, and we're gonna go a little bit longer than we normally do our podcasts. We try and get to like 38 minutes, and well, we're already there. Oh well. That's so be it. <laughs> it's just in a good conversation. You guys have been doing great. Um, so you're saying so, people can turn it off now? Well, eventually. Once they it hits 38. Did. Yeah. <laughs> whoever's left, just know you're in for a little bit more. Um, but w w the how, how, do we how does somebody find a church? Um, picking a church. And when a pastor is teaching something that we, we don't believe. Um, so p for that second question, you said that, Names go before the the council, or sorry, the faculty, and they get certified. Are there ever names that aren't certified? I don't want to know the people, but does it ever happen that somebody isn't certified, and, and why would that be? Um, when does that happen where they say, no, we're not going to certify you for ministry? What are, what are the reasons that go into that? Because I have a feeling, I wonder if some of those might actually be the same problem that pops up later on if you encounter a pastor that's teaching something we don't believe. So the the answer to that is is quite simple, and the answer is yes. There are there are men that uh, do not finish seminary and do not receive calls, but it's typically not to the point of at the end of the fourth year where you're sitting in class, you know, 
with all your books and all of a sudden you go, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> it, it usually has occurred before that. Um, and a lot of times vicarage is a time in which um, people are identified that are not fit for the office at this time or unable to perform the duties of the office at this time. Um, there are academic uh, ways to identify people that they may not be able to perform the duties of the office. Um, during their time on campus, there's also, there is an evaluation of your personal life and the Dean of Students also has a role of saying from a moral point of view, whether or not somebody is fit to serve in the office. So there's all kinds of, it's not just an academic school where it's like, okay, he got above a 3.0, so he gets to preach. Um, <laughs> it's actually not that at all, that the academics is, is not as much of a part of it as it might sound like from this discussion. Uh, but it really is a question of the whole person and it's the observation of the faculty. It's an observation of your vicarage congregation, of your fieldwork congregation, the, the pastors that are there, the, the circuits in which these things happen. Um, they actually all do pray about this and talk about this and take it very seriously. And um, I, I, I have some personal friends that, that went to seminary, even went to vicarage, and didn't finish seminary for whatever reason. Um, one of them failed vicarage and was very upset, but now looking back, realizes it was the right thing and and that was the way that god worked in this system to honestly not call this person to be a pastor and you know that that is part of the process as well is that the, the church takes this very seriously that this is a very difficult process to go through when when people have come to seminary have taken the academic classes and yet it's a, it's readily apparent to everyone that this should not result in a call and and they do that the faculty takes that very seriously. Um, I've talked to several faculty members at, at the seminary about this process. Um, and, and it's something they take very seriously. They pray about, and it's not easy. It certainly isn't any fun to tell a young man that, <laughs> or not young man, that though you came to seminary, that it's not, right? It's not that people don't think this should end in a call, and, and it's not going to way it's going to work. So, yes, it does happen. I think there, there's other situations that we don't often think about, um, but the the wife of the pastor, the wife of the seminarian, is often a very important consideration in this because I know some individuals where perhaps the man felt this is a good fit, this is great, but in the process of seminary or the process of vicarage, his wife really said, it, "I this kind of life with, with how this is going I can't, I can't do this. And so I think there, there is some concern there as well. When you're a husband first, um, before you've received that call from God, you, you don't, you can't really say, well, God called me to do this. Like, well, dude, you're a husband first. Um, I know some who have, that has, that has been a, a big consideration for them <clears throat> in caring for their family. Um, can I carry out the duties of this office and also care for my family? And they've realized, no, I, I can't. Um, so just thought I want to make sure that that gets, that gets in there too. <laughs> and that's um, and not even something that comes up later. I mean, when I was going through, that was something at the very beginning that they, the seminary talked to my wife to say, are you ready for this? Do you understand what this is? You know, and those kind of things. And even when guys are going through seminary and decide to get married, there's a process of making sure that the, their future wife is ready for the life. That Are you saying if you go through seminary and you get engaged during seminary, the seminary has to vet your wife for you? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. And if you get engaged and or married before seminary, they vet your wife before you, or your fiance before you get to seminary. Yes. Yep. Try explaining yeah. that one after you've given away a ring. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Okay, so, so, so after all of this, we, we've got pastors, we've talked about how they're called. Um, if people have more uh, questions about the process, uh, Pastor Ill, let's just give out your email because you're a district secretary. You can explain it in detail, right? And you love doing that. That's like your favorite thing ever. Uh, sure. <laughs> I, I, I'm just kidding. You, I, you um, didn't have to do that. Oh. I was kidding. Uh-oh. <laughs> Anyway, okay, you, you can you can send here's it to the, the deal. To our uh, questions. It's not about the rules. It's about it's about what Jesus says. Um, and sometimes when we start to talk about pastors, we can get bogged down in what 
a church body says or in what um, a particular church leader has said, or you, you can go all over the map. But the truth is, it's what Jesus says that counts. So let's start there. The good shepherd of his sheep has called pastors to feed his lambs. That's something that we had talked about uh, in the in our previous episode oh so many months ago. Uh, and so as pastors go and feed his lambs, they serve in local churches. So uh, we've talked about how to call a pastor, but how do you get uh, how do you pick a pastor? And what happens when uh, when you're in a church and all of a sudden it seems like something isn't going quite right? Uh, maybe the pastor is preaching in a way that you haven't heard him preach before uh, or heard anybody preach before. Maybe you're concerned about some resources that are being used in the congregation. Maybe you have some concerns about his, his way of life. Uh, I mean, because I think that is part of our question today. Uh, yeah, yeah. And... And I think the first thing that we're called to do, whenever there is uh, controversy in Christian uh, circles, is we're called to go talk to the person. Um, and and this is a case where if if your pastor's sermon bugs you, go talk to him. If your pastor's new shoes bug you, go talk to him. Um, if there's a resource being used in your church that you're not sure about, go talk to him. If you're a Cardinals fan and your pastor happens to be a Cubs fan, I guess then you convert. can talk to him. You convert. That's the only um, answer. You become a Cubs fan. The perk is I'm not a Cubs fan, so it's not a problem for me. <laughs> but I've only heard of baseball, so you all are on a whole different plane. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> but they don't play baseball on planes. Before you get really um, angry with your pastor and say, this guy's got to go or I'm going to leave the church or, or, or whatever, before any of that happens, even, even before you talk to him first, pray for him. Uh, then go talk to him. Say, hey, pastor, this thing happened and I'm, I'm not sure. And, and desire to learn because he has something to, uh, to say to you from God. He also, though, has something to learn from you from God in your vocation as a member of the church. Talk to your pastor. Hey, pastor, I noticed that you did this thing or did that thing in church. Hey, pastor, in your sermon the last three weeks, you've mentioned this. Um, it it might have bothered me. Can you talk to me about it? Hey, pastor, when you when you said this thing, it offended me. I, I think you were in the wrong. Uh, talk to your pastor. Um, is it possible that your pastor has, has done something and shouldn't be eligible to be a pastor anymore? It's possible. But before, before you go calling anybody else or doing anything else, talk to your pastor first um, and work it out as brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what the church is and what the church does. If, if there comes a time when you've talked to him and he's not, he's not listening and you search the scriptures and you say, boy, this is getting to be a deal breaker. Speak to the leadership of your congregation. Speak to neighboring pastors and see if they can help. Um, always with that attitude of humility, of desiring to learn. And if you need to talk to your church body leadership um, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, that would be your district president. You can visit with him. Um, Cir circuit visitor first, then district yeah, president. Yeah, circuit visitor yeah. first, then district president. <laughs> Um, a couple of times I've gotten, uh, my district president has seen me out and about, and he said, Pastor Ill, do you have a moment for a word? Uh, what my district president doesn't realize is, is the second he says that, my heart jumps up into my throat. Um, <laughs> and the conversation goes like this. I got a call from somebody, and they said that you said. <laughs> and I say, that's interesting. And he says, Almost always I've told them to talk to you, but in this particular circumstance, uh, they just asked me to mention it to you. Um, and, uh, and it's been kind and it's, it's helped make me a better pastor uh, because my district president is out to, to see me serve as a pastor in the best possible way and to see my congregation served in the best possible way. It's a good thing. But uh, there are times when district presidents have to look at pastors and say, hey, we, we need a correction here. Um, those things happen. So 
So as you're talking about this, that we've mentioned things around the important thing. We've we've hinted at the importance of things, but we really haven't talked enough about the actual reality of what makes a pastor and the actual mechanism of making a pastor is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when you talk about your pastor being in the wrong or when you're, when you talk about your pastor, maybe whatever, and you need to talk to him, this is what you need to understand is that it's, it's your pastor is not there to represent himself. He's actually there to, to represent Jesus and to speak the truth of scripture. So when you talk to your pastor, when you listen to your pastor, when you pray for your pastor, you really are wanting the entire reality of this relationship to be focused on the death and resurrection of Jesus, on the person of Christ, on God's work for you to save you in Christ. And, you know, you mentioned if you don't like his new shoes, well, okay. You know, I don't, I didn't even never notice my pastor's shoes. I don't know if he has new ones or old ones or black ones or white ones. I have no clue, but, (laughs) but, Really, the pastor is there to speak to you the words of God from Jesus himself. And and that's really where the most important thing should go is, what is my pastor teaching me? What is he preaching to me about Jesus? How is he speaking scripture to me? How is he serving me with word and sacrament? And And then also, how do I serve my pastor? since he is also someone for whom Christ has died. How do I serve my pastor recognizing that, that the ordination into the office is not the indelible character, but he still operates as a sinner whose sins are forgiven just like mine. And I think part of you, you said, please pray for your pastor and let's do that. Let's pray for our pastors regularly. Let's add them to our list and our family prayers. Pray for your pastor um, and then also, you know, you think of, you think of things in our lives where I really hope that the people who listen to me speak, listen with a kind ear and understand that though I might misspeak occasionally, that I'm not trying to deceive. I'm not trying to mislead. I might've stumbled. I might've messed up. And so that's where pastor ill is saying, Hey, just go to your pastor and say, I heard you say this, Right. And, and allow him the opportunity to, to explain. Maybe he didn't mean what you thought he meant. Maybe he did mean what you thought he meant. Maybe you need to hear it. Um, maybe he did say that and it offends you. And maybe he's going to look at you and say, you need to be offended because what you're doing is wrong and you need to <laughs> repent. That's actually his job, right? Yeah. And But maybe he might look at you and say, you're right. I, I, was, I, I misspoke. Please, please forgive me. I didn't mean to say it that way, or I didn't mean it in a, in a way that offends you. But but allow the the thing that that exists in your in your view of your pastor and your pastor's job in your congregation to be Christ, to be Christ and Him crucified. And and one of the the weird readings, and and I, I checked this out kind of at the beginning of the podcast, so trust me on this. In the last two hymnals, at least, when it comes to the the service of ordination. The reading that we read first for the institution of the office of the holy ministry. Okay, so that's the pastoral office. This is Jesus giving us the pastoral office. Listen to the text. Then Jesus came to them, that is the 11 apostles, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That's the institution of the holy ministry. Okay? That's the text that we go to to say Jesus gave us the office of pastor. Listen to how it starts. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Hmm. Your pastor is there to bring that authority and that power to forgive your sins. 
to speak words of the Christ who has conquered sin, death, and the devil on your behalf. And when you go astray, he's going to correct you. He's going to say, you need to repent. Not because he's found a way to have one over you or to say, ha, I caught you. No, because your pastor loves you with the love of Christ. And he knows that the one who has all authority is the one who gave up his very life to save you. And what does Jesus say to do with that authority? He says to make disciples of all nations by baptizing them and teaching them. And that's what the pastor's office is really about, to be the word and sacrament man, to say Christ for you. At our, at our congregation, I know some churches will have on the pulpit the quote of, Sir, let us see Jesus from the Gospels. John. At ours, I really like it because obviously if you use a manuscript for your sermon, that could be covered up while you're preaching. At our, at our church on the pulpit, there is built in, in the left-hand side, a crucifix that has been attached to the pulpit. So where your hand would naturally come down when you are throwing a whole bunch of law and you're getting mad and yelling. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, where your, hand, where, where your hand would naturally come down on the pulpit to rest or to just generally in your body motion to put your hand on the pulpit, your hand is going to land on that crucifix. That hand is going to land on Jesus on the cross to remind you that that is who you're preaching about. And even, uh, that you're, you're proclaiming that forgiveness, you're proclaiming that life to people uh, rather than just your opinion for the day or, um, or um, your, your thoughts on the current social situation or whatever. No, you're, you're specifically bringing Jesus no matter what else is happening. And now Jesus' words for that day may have something to say about our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, our... But, the thoughts, feelings, and emotions aren't the point. The point is bringing Jesus. And that's why um, Kevin has said this to me before, and now I love saying this and, and thinking about it, is that Christianity is so simple. Like, even though, like, you can see behind me books and all the systematic stuff, it, it's like it is so simple, and we complicate it so much. And I, that was one of the things that brought me to the Lutheran Church, was the the irony of the fact that you have many church bodies that for the desire of fellowship don't want to get caught up on doctrine and yet that just means we haven't talked about it we don't know what we teach or a lot of times that's what it means okay and, yeah and that um and so we don't want to get caught up on it and, and it's funny because growing up assemblies of god the history of that is we don't want to have any barriers in doctrine Oh, good, because I never thought there was a trinity. Oh, no, 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 you do have to believe that. Well, we don't have to believe this no, 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 you do have to believe that part. And so then you get the 16 fundamental truths, so you still have doctrine written down. And so you have places that will say, we don't have um, doctrine of men or creeds or all those kind of things. It's like, well, okay, then what do you teach? Like, who, who are you talking about? What is the point of you being here? Is it about Jesus? And who is Jesus? You know, But it, it ends up being so much more simple. Um, talking about that immediate versus immediate call stuff at the beginning, growing up and thinking, okay, how I need six or seven books, <coughs> excuse me, six or seven books um, to tell me whether that thing I feel inside is the Holy Spirit or whether it's the pizza I ate last night, whether the, the thing I'm feeling and the drive I have is selfishly motivated or whether it's the Holy Spirit trying to tell me stuff. And then you look at scripture, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Actually, God gives us his instruction and he gives us Jesus. And we, we don't get so caught up in all this other stuff. Like it's, and, and so it, it becomes so much more simple. And, um, and even in the midst of this stuff is, uh, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Not because of... Is it the comments on Zoom again as we're commenting to each other? Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. No, I, I get thrown off so quickly. Um, so, I, But the point is that it gets so... It's so much more simple because the reason the church is here is we are the called out ones, called out by Jesus, and we 
are here to proclaim the forgiveness that we have through Christ. And so in that regard, uh, the pastor, that guy who has been taught to do so and has been called by Christ's church to do that, to share Jesus. And everyone's going to have their better skills. Some guys are going to be more people people. Some people are going to be better like organizers and structured and all that kind of stuff. Like you, hopefully you're a well-rounded person that cares about people like and actually wants to tell people about Jesus. And so, um, yeah, I, I love having that little crucifix on our pulpit that's built in to remind us that that's why we're here. See how I brought that all back? Yeah, well, like, that's that's actually what I what I want to do here at the end, just in terms of, of wrapping up, because we're, um, I don't know, people have stopped listening or, or whatnot at this point. But um, with our with our final question that we've been grappling with, with how, how do I pick a church and what happens if something different gets taught? I think we've actually answered that without directly telling you how to pick a church. Look look for the the pastor who is doing these things, who is focused on Christ, who is who is giving you Jesus. That's that's where you start. Uh, that has to do with listening to what he's saying. Uh, if you're concerned about what he's saying, about what he's teaching, Pastor Ill has given fantastic advice on, okay, here's how to approach that. Here's what to do in, in that kind of situation. But in all of this, that, that focus part of the problem is we tend to get sidetracked by other things. Well, it's it's worship that's the problem. It's the sanctuary that's the problem. It's the color of the carpet that's the problem. It's they don't have this program, don't have that program. If we're talking about Christ and if we're intentional about focusing on him and who he is and proclaiming that, uh, it, it's amazing how a lot of those other things either fade away or they come into focus in the in the right way and we're actually able to have good conversations um, about all those other things when we're being intentional about focusing on Christ. And as we talk about here, having that crucial conversation um, initially. Kevin, do you have any final words for us as, as we wrap up here? You, you do good with wrap-ups. <laughs> well, I, th- I think, you know, when, you, when we talk about things like church, pastor, listening to pastor, choosing churches, all these things, Like Pastor, Pastor Dembski said, it, it's so simple. You go to church to hear Christ. And and I do, I actually mean this very seriously, is that hold your pastor to it. Go to church and, and listen for Christ. And if your pastor doesn't preach Christ, ask him about it. Don't be mean. Don't post it on Facebook or, or say my pastor is whatever, whatever, just go ask him. Just, just ask him why he preached what he preached and tell him that you, you didn't get Jesus out of it and, and allow him the opportunity to explain what he was thinking and why he was saying what he's saying. If it ends up that he doesn't want to give you Christ, that's when I would encourage you to either find a different church or that's when you start talking to other people about, you know, something's wrong here. Because the pastor's call is to bring Christ, word, law and gospel, word and sacrament, all that, that's part of it. But it, it really is to proclaim Christ to you. And, and people ask me all the time, what kind of church should I go to? What kind of, and I say, listen, listen to the word being proclaimed. Is it Christ? You know, Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing the word, but he doesn't stop there. The word of Christ. Yeah. And and that's where you want to get all your focus is is this guy who has been called into the office of proclaiming Christ and him crucified doing that. Yeah. And, and am I as a sinner who has been called to come receive Christ and him crucified am I repenting and am I trusting in Christ or am I coming with my presuppositions and my taste and saying, Oh, pastor, you need to do it the way I want you see now that's not focused on Christ either. And so this is, we want to all come to the foot of the cross, even in this issue, come to the foot of the cross and receive Christ and him crucified for you. That's the crucial conversation. And that probably leads into a whole bunch of other questions of how we, we do all that. And I just ruined your wrap up. That's okay. <laughs> that That is the crucial conversation. And if you do have those questions that Pastor Dembski was talking about, 
send them to us. Email them to us. You'll I'll, uh, back at the beginning. I mentioned how you can do that. Um, but thank thank you so much, Pastor Ill and Pastor Dembski, for joining us today. Uh, it's it's always great having guests on and having other voices speaking about these issues. And we appreciate you guys joining us today and taking a much longer than expected time <laughs> to do that because we went longer than we normally do. But uh, it, it was a good conversation. So thank you guys for for joining us. Um, and that's that's all we got for you today. Wow, that was a really that's bad the crucial conversation. Just, <laughs> that's the crucial conversation. That's the crucial con. <laughs> all right, have a good night. See ya. Bye.